hymns shall we do? And I thought we will we'll think about the name of Jesus. And we're going to sing now 117. Now, Susie arrived here tonight. And I've done you just seen her. Oh, yeah, hooray. We're pleased to see you, Susie. But I said to Susie, have you only just arrived? You look as if you have. Oh, dear. Not the best thing to say to somebody, is it, when they've just had a long journey and they've just arrived. But you know what? We are so like that with the Lord, aren't we? We only, sometimes we only come to the Lord after we've had a long journey. It doesn't matter what sort of a journey we've had. It might have been a journey of rebellion. It might have been a journey of sorrow. It, it could be any sort of journey. But very often, we only come to him when we're at the end of a long journey and we're tired and we, we come to the end of our tether, really. We don't quite know where to go next. So we go to Jesus. And I can remember being like that. Oh, it was many years ago now. I can't even remember what it was all about. But I came to Jesus, uh, and I, I can remember I was wanting something, but I don't know what it was. And I, I went to him, and I said, well, why aren't you doing this for me, Lord? Well, you know, why can't I have this? And I read the words to this hymn, and I'm going to read them to you now. And it's a hymn you will know because it's in our book. And it goes like this. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. It makes the wounded spirit whole and calms the troubled breast. Tis manna to the hungry soul and to the weary rest. Dear name the rock on which I build my shield and hiding place. My never-failing treasury filled with boundless stores of grace. Jesus, my shepherd, brother, friend, my prophet, priest, and king. My Lord, my life, my way, my end, accept the praise I bring. Weak is the effort of my heart and cold my warmest thoughts. But when I see thee as thou art, I'll praise thee as I ought. But till then I would thy love proclaim with every fleeting breath, and may the music of thy name refresh my soul in death. And, you know, it says there, I would thy love proclaim. Well, I want just to proclaim tonight that Jesus said to me, whatever it is you are missing, I can be for you. He said, Jesus, my shepherd, do you need a shepherd? Brother, friend, do you need a friend? Prophet, priest, and king, so often I need someone who can go to the Lord and put my case for me and plead for me. My Lord, my life, my way, my end, accept the praise I bring. And the Lord said to me through this hymn here, I can be to you whatever you want me to be and whatever you need me to be I can be to you but you have to come to me first of all and it's wonderful what all those names of Jesus can be to us 
It tells his names, tell us so much about what he does for us and has done for us and is wanting to do for us now <coughs> and in the future. So I just praise his name, literally praise his name. And um, we found a hymn, didn't we, Em, that was about the names of Jesus. Now, we've only practised it this evening, so you'll have to excuse, uh, excuse us if I make mistakes and Emma makes mistakes, but Emma's going to sing it to you. Yes. wonderful Lord that we've got let's come to him in prayer and bring all our concerns and needs to him 
Lord Jesus, we do thank you, Lord, that you care about us, that you cared so much about us, you died for us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for bringing us here safely so that we can come and turn aside and learn more about you and more about living this life, Lord, in fellowship with one another. Lord, we just pray and for others who, like Susie, are going to arrive today or during the week and who've got journeys home. Lord, we ask that you will keep them safe. Lord, we bring to you this world of ours. Lord, we've just been singing about how you are in control. Sometimes, Lord, we look at this world and, and we just wonder what is happening. But Lord, help us to hang on to the fact that you know what's happening. But Lord, we do come to you with our concerns. For our concerns about wars and people caught up in wars, the wars and the people who cause them, the pride that causes it. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you will just, just work in those situations. Be there, Lord, for the people who need you the most. We pray, Lord, for this business of Brexit. We just ask, Lord, that your will be done, whatever that might be. Because we, we really, we know what we want, Lord, but what we want most of all is that your will be done in this situation. We pray, Lord, for our own churches at home, churches which will probably have worshipped this morning, but we thank you for them. And we just pray, Lord, that, that your gospel will be told throughout the land, through the churches. And we pray for this week, Lord. We pray, Lord, for Alan, who's going to be speaking. We pray for our hearts, Lord, and minds, that we might hear what you have to say. So, Lord, bless us this week. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. So, we have a wonderful Lord, and Jesus is the name we honour. And that is cue for a song, if ever I heard one, and it's number 76. Okay, so the reading's going to be Genesis 20, verses 1 to 18. Abraham and Abimelech. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech did not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And she, even she herself, said, He is my brother. 
In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants, and gave them to Abraham. And he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you, because all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children. For the Lord had closed up the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Thank you. Let's check I'm definitely on. I think it was my fault we had a squeak over there. So apologies for that. So we're having a look at one of the episodes in the life of Abraham. No doubt you'll know quite a lot about Abraham. Abraham is a hero of the Jews. He is, of course, the father of the nation. He was used amazingly by God. Um, he was set apart for a special purpose. And there's lots of different chapters we could have looked at to look at Abraham. But I felt today it was right to look at where Abraham stumbled. And I did that on purpose. Because despite who we are, we all stumble. Despite who we are, we all mess up. We're all human. Sometimes the term heroes of the Bible is used. In fact, if you look at Hebrews 11, we've got Abraham in there and listing all these amazing men of faith and things that they achieved through God using them. But we know, of course, there's only one hero in the Bible, and that is God himself. But God used Abraham. That is important. He messed up. He failed. He did things wrong, just as we do. But God used Abraham. Isn't that reassuring? Whatever we do, God uses us. Despite Neil failing, despite Neil messing up, God will use Neil. Despite, and I could go through every single person here, God will use you. By his mercy and by his grace, he sorts us out, doesn't he? We might come to Tarsus for that. We might come to Tarsus and we feel heavy burdened. We feel that we're carrying things. We might be carrying worries. We might be carrying guilt. 
but we know that as we come here, we find mercy and we find grace and he will lift us up again and use us again as he did there. I read something quite recently. It said, the great thing is with the gospel, it turns a mess into a message. It's one of the reasons we give testimony at tasks, isn't it? Because it turns our mess into a message for others. The song we used to sing, it's, it's probably still in the books over there. And the chorus, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was emptiness and strife. But he made something beautiful out of my life. So let's just look again at this passage from Genesis chapter 20. We don't quite know where he was, but it says that Abraham moved on. He says, back to the place he was, and he moves on. And he goes to a place, I never pronounce this place, but he goes to a place called Gerar. And Gerar was Philistine territory. A couple of things will come to mind when you think of the Philistines. The first one, you might think maybe of somebody who's hostile, somebody who's against you. And it's a term people use, people that are not Christians. They don't understand who the Philistines were, but they'll say such and such, they're a Philistine. Don't know what they're talking about. They're uncultured. We often will think of Goliath, that uh, huge giant that, of course, fought David. And we'll think of that man, a people who are to be feared, a pagan people, the enemy often of God's people as well. People who worship false gods, people who certainly are against anything that God was doing. So why would Abraham, of all people, a man of God, go to a Philistine territory? Some of the people that know more than this about me, the experts that I read, they think it was probably simply for pasture. He probably went there because they were a nomadic people and they were looking for somewhere for clean water, for a little bit of produce, etc. So it's not the normal place you go, but there was a purpose in it. There's always in a purpose wherever God takes you. Even when things are not going quite right in life, even when things are difficult, there is always a purpose in wherever God might lead you. So what happens? He's there and Abraham begins to panic. Because at that time, as you enter someone's territory, there will inevitably be people going to check you out. You know, as a foreigner in the land, who is this person? And especially somebody who's got prestige, such as Abraham. He becomes fearful. He realises that he could be a threat to these Philistine people. These people who are perceived as very hostile towards God. He wanted to live safely. It's a natural thing, isn't it? You would look for a safe place to live. He was in a foreign land. The people didn't know him. The people didn't worship his God. The people didn't know the truth. And it was a custom of the day that a tribal leader would come and they would ask for an offering. A bit like getting your passport and paying a bit for your visa to get into the country. And at that time, rather than paying a visa, you would give a young lady from amongst your people. So Abraham stupidly gives his wife. And lies. He says, she is my sister. It's a half-truth anyway. Why did he lie? Why do things go wrong from here? I believe, first of all, it was a fear of man. How often do we fear man? We can lack trust in God. We can fear those who oppose us rather than standing up for truth. If you look at the British political system over 
say, the past 10, 20, 30 years. Some of the things that we have lost as Christians is because Christians haven't stood up for the truth. They haven't said this is wrong. They've had a fear of man. They've allowed all sorts of laws and all sorts of things being railroaded through. I spend half my time working in the education system and a lot of the restrictions and the things even that stopping Christians are pretty appalling because we become fearful of man. But God had made a promise. He had made a promise to us, Abraham. He promised he would bless him. He promised he would bless his descendants. He promised he would make him as numerous as the stars. And it's a promise that went on and on. But Abraham's lack of faith in God to protect him led him to deception to try and save his own skin. He thought, unless I say this, unless I say she's my sister and don't admit she's my wife, I could end up with my throat slit. I could end up in prison or anything. He was terrified, so he lied. How often do we hold back from trusting God because we fear men? Or we don't just trust God enough to take hold of a situation, take it somewhere. Maybe there's an event on at your local church and you think, I won't invite my friend because I'm fearful of what they might say. Maybe God's asking you to step up and volunteer for something in church even. So it seems quite righteous, but you don't because you say, I'm not good enough and you're not willing to allow God to help you through. I had a situation just in the past 12 months where there's a lovely couple that had joined my church. They were, they'd been Christians for a number of years, but never really committed to a church. And they've had a horrendous time. They lost their grandchild, just eight days old. So the grandchild died. And then he was later diagnosed with cancer. And then his son died, and it was horrendous. And I admit, at the back of my mind, I thought, we'll lose them. They'll walk away from God. This is so horrendous that they won't get through. And I had to confess that I wasn't trusting God for them as I was praying for them, as I was supporting them. And I would go and visit them. In the back of my mind, I was thinking, what am I going to say? How am I going to explain all the things that they're going through? And God had to rebuke me and saying, give them to him. Trust God for them. And they're going on with God. And the lady, she's now in the singing group at church. And the gentleman there, he's really committed to the church. So throughout all their struggles, they're trusting in God. They're continuing. And I begin to trust God a little bit more for the people that I look after and trust that they're his people and not things for me to spend sleepless nights over. So that's just a personal example there. Proverbs 3 Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Many of us will know that. We'll have it as a memory verse. We'll bring it back to us over and over again. But we should live it as well as read it. Going back to Abraham. The story of Abraham reminds me in a sense of a man who prays, Lord, guide me. Lord, steer my life in your direction but then you grab hold of the steering wheel again. How many of you have been like that? How many of you said, I'm going to step forward, I'm going to trust God, and then we've grabbed the steering wheel back? We're almost saying that we're not trusting God entirely, that maybe we should step forward and say, Lord, I'm willing to surrender myself completely to you, despite it being difficult, despite the things that I'm going through, I'm going to trust you further. 
During the Billy Graham days, one of the songs that they used to sing was all to Jesus I surrender, I surrender all. God's not just an insurance policy as if when things go wrong, he's there to walk with day by day. So what else went wrong for Abraham? Poor guy. He's lying. He's being deceptive. He's saying Sarah's his sister. And it's a half-truth, as we see in verse 12. She's his half-sister. But the point is, she is his wife. He treats her as his wife, quite rightly. He's married her. And yet he's willing just to give her away to save his own skin. It's basically into a potential adultery. It's a trick. It's deception, especially when God had got a promise upon her. What else is wrong? It's also putting in jeopardy God's plan because he knew that his descendants would be a source of blessing. He knew that from his descendants would come, of course, the Messiah. We see Jesus coming from that line. And isn't that like sin, really? We tell a small thing to try and cover up, to try and save our sin, and then it snowballs like a rock that gathers pace and it turns into an avalanche going down a hill and it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger until it causes a great disaster. The effect sometimes of just one word, something we've said, even if we said it in jest, even if we didn't quite mean it, can be terrible for some people. I spoke to somebody just a few weeks ago and they said they hadn't spoken to their son for 30 years because of what he'd said. And I didn't bother asking what he'd said. And I said, just for one word, isn't it time you sorted it out? And I spent so long with this person to try and help them. And they haven't got back to me, but I'm hoping they were willing to pick up the phone or whatever and sort things out. Imagine that one word and going on for 30 years. I don't know if anyone is in that situation, but are the people that you've fallen out with over silly things? Or maybe you've fallen out with somebody over something that is quite serious, but isn't it willing to put a stop to that? Isn't it time that you said, I want to sort out that situation? Whether it's a family member, a friend, isn't it time to stop that avalanche going on and on and gathering more and more pain for you? Sarah then, she goes on to live with Abimelech. And the intention, of course, was to become Abimelech's wife, even though she's already married to Abraham. In that first step, everything could have come crashing down. We teach our children, we try and nip in the bud tiny things. We try to discipline them when we see them do something small and stopping it there and then so it doesn't lead to greater and greater things. In the teaching profession, I've spoken to quite a lot of teachers and uh, I remember there was one particular teacher and they said on their first weeks and months of teaching, they were very, very strict. And they said if they could be as strict as possible, once they had gained the discipline and the trust of the young people in the class, then they could loosen that a little bit. But they had to nip things in the bud. That was important. And so it is with us at times. We need to stop things when we realise that we're going wrong. We need to say to the Lord, I want to keep a short account with you. You might not have done something very serious, but how good is it just at the end of the day to say, Lord, I shouldn't have thought that. Lord, I was bad tempered today. Lord, I was a little bit grumpy today. Help me and forgive me. For Abraham, 
It's even worse because he's done all this before. He's a repeat offender. It's not as if it's a one-trick thing. He's tricked people before. If you see in Genesis 12, he lied to the Pharaoh again to save his own skin. He said, Sarah's my sister. And then Sarah went off to live with Pharaoh. And thankfully, it worked out in the end. It's a repeat offender. And we might think, how terrible. Surely he learnt his lesson. But do we learn our lessons? How often do we end up returning to the same thing we did? If we are all completely honest, there are things that we repeat over and over again. And we know them to be wrong, but old habits die hard. When we become a Christian, we are a new creation. It's very true. But that old human nature is still there. And a bit like the cartoon where you've got a little devil and a little angel on your shoulder, it's as if they're both fighting for your attention. How often have you felt like that? Some people, though, do not want to change. Have you heard some people say, I've got a bad temper, but that's just the way I am. Nothing I can do about it. Or somebody, I'm an old grump, but that's just the way I am. But actually, if we look at God and we look at his grace, that is not the way we are. If we look at his grace, he can end years and years of a particular direction you're taking or a thought pattern that you have or a particular way of acting that you have. And isn't that great? Because for the Christian, our attitude needs to be different. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, we are God's workmanship. And I'm glad it's a work. It's continuous. It's daily. And that is why we need to come back to the cross daily. That is why we need to ask God to change us daily. That is why we need to ask forgiveness daily. And the Lord knows that. And isn't that good? The Lord knows we fail. The Lord knows we mess up. But he invites us to come back so that we can be more Christ-like. There will come a day in eternity, thankfully, when we'll be transformed completely. And I can't wait for that day. 1 Corinthians 15 talks of having a new resurrected body even. But here on earth, our job is to learn to live more like Jesus. Abimelech, going back to the story, he's oblivious to Abraham's sin. He's thinking, great, I've got a new wife. He was thinking of the life that was ahead for this lovely lady that he had. And he's sound asleep. He's had his cocoa in the tabernacle. Things are going well. And Abimelech, possibly, most likely, has been worshipping false gods. He was probably a pagan, probably worshipped idol. And suddenly the true God, the living God, speaks to him as he sleeps. And he reveals what Abraham and Sarah had done. In verse 3, we hear the words, you are as good as dead. She is a married woman. Imagine that horror. He has done things willingly he didn't realise and there's this realisation that he's been tricked, he's been lied to, he's been schemed to by this person who claims to be a man of God. The woman he's intending to marry is already married. The God of his enemy now is suggesting judgment, suggesting death will fall upon him and fall upon his people and his nation as a result. It's horrendous, isn't it? Not the best night's sleep he had. Abimelech protests. And wouldn't you? He pleads for his people. He says, I've done this with a clean conscience. 
I've done it with clean hands. Sin can have far-reaching effects. Sin can affect the innocent. We say that a lot in society, don't we? How one person's sin affects another person who is completely innocent. All because Abraham has failed to trust God. All because Abraham is not believing in the God who loves him and uses him. Sarah too, as we see in verse 5, she's in on this deception. It's like a Bonnie and Clyde story, isn't it? It brought judgment upon this whole nation because of the lies of these people. But verse 6, we see the God that we like. We see the God of mercy. We see the God that turns things around and brings people back to him in two ways. Firstly, Abimelech at that point has not slept with Sarah and there is a way out. He can return Sarah to Abraham. says, I didn't let you sleep with her because God puts blocks all the time to stop us from walking away from him. And haven't you seen that so many times? When you begin to do something wrong as your conscience that speaks to you, And it puts blocks maybe in your circumstance. I've got a friend and he was struggling with things he shouldn't have been looking at on the internet. And he told me that whenever he started to log on, his Wi-Fi kept failing. And he realised that God supernaturally was intervening. He was putting a block and he was speaking to him about what he shouldn't have been doing. God always calls us to choose his way. And it might not be the easiest way at times but he will always call us back. He'll always bring us back. But we need to be willing and saying, Lord, I know that path is wrong and I will continue walking your ways. Isn't that a picture of God's grace? His arms are always open wide. However we are, whatever we have done. Repentance followed by action will always lead to forgiveness. Isn't it wonderful? So in verse 7, God tells Abimelech, Abraham is a prophet and he will pray for Abimelech and he will live. I almost feel there's a little bit of irony here, but of course it's really grace. So despite the sin of Abraham, God still endorses Abraham as his prophet. And only God can do that, can't he? Only the grace of God can still use someone who's fallen to that degree. God still has a powerful calling on Abraham's life. And God still uses you and me, despite the times that we failed him. God still calls us back and uses us, whatever we might do. God's grace is beyond our human understanding, isn't it? I don't understand it. I see the story here and I say, I wouldn't have let him be a prophet anymore. I'd have stopped him there and then. I'd have chosen somebody else. But God doesn't. God uses Abraham despite who Abraham is. God uses all who follow him as weak and as faithless as we might be at times too. We're imperfect, but there are times when God will use us maybe to stand in the gap for somebody else. And Abraham here, he's called to stand in the gap. The phrase we'll see, of course, in Ezekiel 22. He's to stand in a gap for this man and his nation, despite the fact he's the cause of all this trouble anyway. That's why I see there's a little bit of irony there. Abraham is the mediator for Abimelech and his people. There's two things here. At this time, of course, 
sin couldn't be addressed at the cross that way we can bring it. You had to go through a mediator. You had to have someone else pray on your behalf. That later, of course, becomes a high priest. Ultimately, the high priest becomes Jesus himself. But by being the one who had to be the mediator, the one who had to accept his role in all this, maybe God too was challenging him. Maybe God too was saying, you've called all, caused all this. You're responsible for all this. But because I'm a God of grace, I'm going to use you to fix it on my behalf. He was an imperfect mediator, but God used him. In 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, we see there is a perfect mediator between God and man. And that person, of course, is Jesus. So when we face sin, when we have done wrong, we still need someone to stand in the gap. But that person isn't a man, isn't a woman. It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Isn't that wonderful? Is it something to celebrate? Is it something too to not forget? Because at times we can forget that we can come back to Jesus. At times we do something and we say, well, it was only a little sin. It didn't really matter. And we forget to come back and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, bring me back to you. So the story wraps up then. Abimelech begins to question Abraham. Understandably, he's a little bit upset. His whole nation was about to be wiped out as a result. And in verse 11, Abraham just blames the nation. He pretty much says, well, you know, you're a pagan nation. He had a lack of a fear of God in this place. And he almost tries to justify himself for what he's done. Again, that's us, isn't it? Again, rather than just saying I've done wrong, rather than just saying I'm sorry, we say, well, I did this, but such and such. I did this, but someone else convinced me to do it. I did it because I was scared. And then I think back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, verse 12. God questions Adam for eating from the tree. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Who do you blame at times for things that you do wrong? Do you blame the society you live in? You think, well, I think this way, but it's just society I was brought up in. I can't help it. I've heard people say, well, I'm from a non-Christian family, so I sometimes do wrong because of that. And we blame other people rather than turning to ourselves. Someone once taught me when you point a finger at somebody, there are three fingers pointing back at yourself. Three things, po fingers pointing back to the things that we have done. So Abraham then uses the excuse... You know, she's my half-sister anyway. Wasn't quite a lie kind of thing. As we wrap things up, Abraham prays. He stands in the gap because God uses him. He stands in the gap as an imperfect man. But God uses him to lift up the curse upon that nation. And the curse of childlessness is gone and it's lifted. But because of that, um, Abimelech had to pay, he had to pay in terms of compensation. He had to pay in terms of livestock. He had to ask that um, the honour of Sarah would be forgiven as well. So it cost Abimelech. And sin is costly. But the great thing is, the greatest cost of all has already been paid. And it was paid by Jesus on the cross. And as Jesus forgives us, the curse is lifted. And as we come to him daily, 
we know that he's already lifted. We know that we are already free. We know that the cross has paid for every single bad thought, every single other person that we have blamed, and the curse of sin is gone. And we're thankful for that, isn't it? Because of all that Christ obtained for us on the cross. Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you for how you use great men and women that we see in the scriptures. We thank you for these so-called heroes of the Bible. But Father, as we look to these men and women, we see echoes of ourselves. And Lord, as we stand before you now, we admit that we are sinful people. But we're so thankful that we have found a way to lift that curse upon us. We thank you that as we come to you, your arms are open wide and you accept us and you love us and you forgive us. Lord, just in the quiet now, we lift maybe things up to you that we have perhaps thought, things that we have done, and we ask you for forgiveness because we know forgiveness has been obtained through your son's death on the cross. Lord, we also ask that you will search our hearts maybe for things that we haven't brought to you before, maybe situations in our lives back home, maybe broken relationships, maybe words that we have said and shouldn't have done, or maybe, Lord, words that have been said to us and we haven't been gracious enough to ask for forgiveness. But we thank you most of all that your son Jesus is our mediator and he is standing in the gap right now between us and you. We ask your blessing upon us and upon the continuing conference and we pray that each one of us will be challenged. You'll continue to speak to us and that we'll be open enough to admit where we need help. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Jesus is wonderful. The words of the hymn we sang last night, ransomed, healed, restored, <coughs> forgiven. When we turn to him, things can be healed, restored and forgiven. And we want to praise him for that. And we want to know more about him, more about how he can work in each one of our lives. Not the lives of somebody standing next to you, but my life, your life. So we're going to sing 98, we're going to stand and sing more about Jesus would I know, more of his saving, more of his grace to others show. We want to know more, more about Jesus.
kindness to one another and sharing the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.